So let's go ahead and stand, and we'll um, be in Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Again, I am. I got it from when I was in Bible college about just preaching series. So I would have one on Sunday nights if I was here on Sunday nights. I already declared that, and uh, so I was already in Matthew when we looked a couple weeks ago. And so we're just going to continue looking at these parables. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. And I would ask that you would pay special attention today as we get into God's Word, as you're going to see, and tread in an, air, in an area that want to be careful in, but also can be very helpful also at the same time. So balance between being harmful but also being helpful at the same time, all right? So I'm going to ask that you will look with me in verse number 24, verse number 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now that's a big deal. In Roman law, you would get in a lot of trouble if you intentionally did this to somebody else. So don't just say, well, well, that sounds bad. No, it was real bad. It it was illegal, as a matter of fact. That's how bad it it was. And it says, but um, in verse 26, but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together the, gather ye together First the tares, then bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barns. Jump down with me, if you will, into verse number 36. Jesus will give two other parables before this. The parable of the mustard seed that grows into a great tree and birds lodge in its branches. And then he's going to do a parable of the woman who secretly sows leaven within the dough and it, and it ferments it, it permeates it, and causes this change. And he'll give those two parables. And then, uh, then he gave the parable of, the, uh, of we have this wheat and tares. So all these three are basically together. And then in verse number 36, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went un- into the house. And the disciples came unto him. So after these three, three things, these three parables, he has them, uh, has them aside, and they say unto, and saying, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field, which I bring that out because there is three different parables, but whatever happened in this parable of the wheat and tares was alarming, that shook them, that they weren't worried about the mustard seed, they weren't worried about the leaven. They were wondering, this wheat and tares, it sounds really bad, and it bothered them. They want to know, what is this all about? And then Jesus, in verse 30, said, 
37 said, <clears throat> He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of, of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of the Father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. All right, may God bless in the reading of his word, and you can go ahead and be seated here. Well, as, as, having, as having a family, there are certain things that I would call as standard uh, operating equipment that you need for, for your family, especially as they're, as they're growing, uh, growing up. I know Lizette's going to have a baby here. There's gonna, people are going to give you some standard operating equipment, I'm sure, uh, and probably things that you'll use once and not really need them. They weren't really standard, all right? But we have some standard operating equipment, things that we have at our house besides the tools in my garage that would be standard operating equipment because they're always breaking something. But one thing that's standard at our house is we have lots of games, different types of board games at our house. And I'm imagining that many of us, especially if you have kids, you have board games at your house. And not only do you have board games, you have pieces of board games throughout your whole house somewhere. And you could find a piece to substitute for that. But there's one game that's out there that um, has been out there for a long time and now it's kind of gone through some updates and I, I went to uh, Walmart uh, and to, to get this. I would love to play a speed round of this game but I don't necessarily know uh, how much time that would take and people in junior church might get upset with me. But this is a game that's called Guess Who? How many of you have ever played the game, guess who, uh, guess who going up, growing up, or even today, they've, now they've redone it a, a little bit, it's more, more traveling, and this one is actually like a deluxe version, like on the back side, we've got superheroes on, on the back, back side, I mean, they've gone, gone beyond that, and if you're familiar with that game, and maybe you're not, and you say, I've never seen that game before, the, the, the premise of the game is, is pretty simple to, to play. Now, this one, you can just choose the person you're going to try to guess at the top. But the original game, you had a deck of cards, and you would shuffle up the cards, and they would have the people on the cards. And then each player got that one card, and you couldn't show who that mystery person was on that card to the other person because... They were going to try to guess the identity of that mystery card that you had. You didn't, you didn't want to show that uh, card to the other person. So you have under all of these, you have the pictures of all the, 
of all the individuals there. So see how snazzy that is? See, it's a lot easier now. Before, it took me like 15 minutes just to unfold everything, and then those things would break off, and I'd have to snap them back in. But this one, oh, I already lost one. It already broke on me. I didn't even let my kids play with it. All right, so we'll just put that one there. But underneath here, let's see if I can at least fix that one. All right. So you had all these pictures, and you would ask yes or no questions. You are trying to narrow it down to who the, how, who the individual would be. Uh, I mean, you weren't, you weren't asking questions. Does the person like baseball? Obviously, you wouldn't have no idea. You're, you're truly making a judgment off of surface value type questions. That's all you could really, that's all you really could do. Whether, is it a girl? Yeah, um, do they have brown hair? Do they have this or that? And then you eventually get it down to, um, get it down to uh, one, uh, try to get down to a, a certain number, and then you start trying to make guesses. And the first person who guesses right obviously wins. Now, the reality is, is I haven't played this uh, for a while. And maybe some of you haven't played this game for a while. But you know, the reality is, is that we're playing the game Guess Who oftentimes. We play it not so much in a board level type game, but we do it on a much more serious game, which I would, and it's not even really a game, but I would say it that way for sake of illustration. We play what I would call spiritual guess who, all, all the time, maybe more often than we want to realize. So I'm going to have brothers Samuel and Miss Braille, they can, they can be, they can be up, up here, so I'll have you stand over here, and I'll have Miss Brielle stand over here. Blue, I'm, I believe blue is totally a boy's color. Red, red seems to be a viable color for, for a girl. We, we believe in those kind of things. Blue will always be a boy's color in my eyes, all right? So we have, we, we have both uh, Brother Samuel and Miss, Miss Brielle here. They're, they're at church. You can, face, you can face everybody here. And so we have these two individuals uh, at Eastside Baptist Church. You've seen them around, and uh, they're obviously in front of people. You see Brother Samuel's up here leading music in the, in the choir. He's in charge of uh, doing other events. Uh, he's on staff with Pastor here. And Miss Braille, though she's not on staff with Pastor, is on staff uh, with Brother Samuel, because I know you're doing a lot to help Brother Samuel out. And uh, she's over here in the orchestra, and she's helping with the youth group. She does all of these things. And I bring them up as an, as an example, because we would look at these two, and we say, I, I would make the assumption that both of these people are believers. Because what we do is... Whether it's, a, whether it's with like these two people or others that may be coming to church or other, other people that maybe appear to be religious, we play spiritual guess who with them. And we ask questions in our mind, and we may not necessarily do it outwardly, but what we have is a series of yes-no type questions in our mind. And if you check enough yeses, then I'm going to say then you're saved then. I'm going to say you have a relationship with Christ if you check all these boxes. If you check all these boxes, you're going to be, you're going to be a believer. 
And so I know Brother Samuel uh, enough of his past, and I know of his dad from Bible college, know where he went to church. And so I might be asking those questions. But when I first met you for the first time, I'd be like, okay, who's your dad? Did you go to a good church? Do you, what Bible do you believe? And, I, and what college do you go? Because I'm asking all these questions because I want to know. And I look at Brielle and I may say, okay, Who's the guy that she, she married? Because that would be a real question, you know, to say, well, is she didn't, uh, I don't think he married a deadbeat, you know, so I'm thinking marry someone that professes to be a Christian. Uh, it appears that, you, that you, she wants to serve the Lord, that she's got abilities to serve the Lord. So I'm going through all these questions and check marks, and they're checking all the boxes in my mind's eye that, all right, that you, you're, you're saved and that you're saved. But may I bring this as a challenge to you today. Can I ever know at 100% sure that I know for sure that Samuel's saved? Can I ever know that for 100% sure? Can I ever know that about Brielle? I can't know that about either one of them. Because the Bible says... All I can do is make assessments from what I can see on the outward appearance of you. I can ask these questions, and it is altogether possible they give me correct and right answers. But have you ever had somebody be deceptive and lie to you before? You could give me the right answer, but not be right. The fact of the matter is that the Bible says that God does not see as we do, but God looketh on the heart. See, God knows whether these two individuals or, as a matter of fact, any one of us are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the reality is, is this, as, as an individual, salvation is an individual subject matter between you and the Lord. And whether you are saved or not saved is that which is between you and the Lord. And I can only presume and make assumptions, and I'm pretty sure you're saved, and I'm pretty sure you're saved. But the reality is only God and that person knows 100% sure whether you're saved. So thank you for that. And so when I, so I bring that illustration to you today because this, in this parable, Jesus is showing us a, the difficulty in playing spiritual guess who with other people. He is bringing a parable because as we looked last week, a parable of the, the sower, some, uh, it, the seed was sown, some obviously was received into good ground, and that you could include people that were saved, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save them. But when we get to this next parable here, another parable as we're going to look at is this is, that, that good seed that sprouted, but bad seed also sprouted at the same time with, with the inability to distinguish the two from the good from the bad. And the truth is, as we will see, is the, it is a result of an adversary which is at work, whereas God plants which is true, that the devil will have his which is false right with it, according to what the scriptures say. And so as we look at this parable today, and as we want to be challenged from what God's word says, that we want to be challenged today not to be playing spiritual guess who with other people. But let's play spiritual guess who with ourselves today. Because the, 
the message, as I said, trying to be a balance between being harmful and helpful is this is, I believe a parable like this should do more to bring us to an assurance of our relationship with Christ than it is to cause us to doubt it more. And I have no doubt if you are like me, I got saved when I was, when I was 21 years old. And as I was growing, I even had questions about my own relationship with Christ in my, in my own life and had to come to a point to say, I, do, I need to have this settled before God. I need to have that assurance that I am who I say I am or believe that I, that I am. And I believe that this kind of parable is good for that. To get us to a point that we look at our own lives that we can sit there and go, I know where I am, and I do not have to convince any other person because I know who I am in relationship to Jesus Christ. And so when we look at this parable, um, it is a terrible, I call it a terrible parable. Help me to remember. But really, it is terrible and it's terrible all at the same time. This is not a, this is not a pleasant um, parable that Jesus is teaching to us here. You see, these parables all deal with the kingdom of heaven at this time before Jesus Christ comes back again. We see that coming in the end of this parable here, that this parable takes place until the time of the end of the world. The, wor the word world here is eon, the end of this age. So we're dealing with a parable that's taking place in the age that we live in, because last time I checked, Jesus has not come back. He has not returned yet. And so he, Jesus tells this parable here, and uh, man, it sounds, it sounds really good and sounds pretty normal for what you, what you would hear, uh, another agricultural type uh, message here. And he says uh, a, a farmer, if we put it in today's uh, terms, he uh, Man, he got his, he got his uh, planter out, he got his tractor, he hitched up the wagon, and, uh, man, he was out there, and uh, he had his field ready, and he sowed wheat uh, into, the, into the field. Now, we're going to see in a matter of a few weeks here, it just seems like almost overnight they plant beans and corn in the ground, and about two weeks later, you see stuff starting to grow up, and the, and, uh, Man, the hired servants of this farmer, they went out there and said, man, this, I've never seen, I've, I've never seen growth like this before. This is amazing. We are in a position to have a bumper crop. I, I, I mean, have you ever seen so many stalks coming up from the ground? Now, this growth pattern this growth pattern is clearly promising something very good. But what promises to be very good turns out to be very negative and ugly. Because as the scriptures tell us in this parable, that this went on. The plants grew. And it grew till the time that they bore fruit. Now that lets you know that it grew together for a long period of time. You don't get fruit during the first week of planting something. I'm just going to tell you that. Don't mean to burst your bubble. You're going to have to wait. If you want 
uh, fresh tomatoes, you're probably going to have to wait. If you think you can plant your tomato plant next week and have something in a couple weeks, you're going to be wrong. You're, it's fruit. They're at, it's grown together for a while. And one of day they went out there and said, something's amiss. Something is not right with this whole situation. They went out there and they began to notice in the fruition of the heads upon the stalks that were out there that there was a difference between the two. And they began to look at them and say, well, look at this. This one, these are wheat. And now look at this. This isn't wheat. And I can imagine one guy's looked at another and was like, well, what is this? And they probably took out their phone and they took a picture of it so that Google can just search immediately for that. And they're like, whoa, that's not good. You better go call the boss in and we better have a board meeting here in the, in the kitchen here because we got some bad things going on. And he said, boss, you're not, you're not going to believe this. You may want to sit down for this and uh, brace yourself. Make sure there's no, nothing sharp you can fall back on because we're going to tell you something and you're not going to like it. You know that wheat crop that was so promising? Uh, something happened out there and you've got weeds stacked all the way through this. I mean, they are all over, they are all over the place. And they were deeply disturbed by it. And, uh, and uh, what the owner says to him is even more disturbing. See, I've, I grow weeds, but they're accidental. Well, okay, maybe it's a little intentional because I don't go out there and do anything about them. But in reality is, they're just there. But somebody went out there and planted weeds alongside that. Can you imagine somebody just taking a bag of weed seed and just going like this? Oh, the farmer planted here, and you're just casting weed seed out all over the place. That's pretty bad. And you know the farmer, he wasn't even taken back by this whole thing. You ever notice that? He's just like, well, who did this? Well, that's probably, I knew I have an enemy, and he is the one that, that, that has done, done this. And nothing could be done about this situation at this time because they were so grown together that the roots were interlocked with each other and that if you pull out one uh, weed, you are probably going to damage the wheat beside it. I don't know about you, but I've walked beans before as a kid. How many of you ever walked beans before? Get yourself a little machete out there and chop, chopping weeds in, in, a, in a bean field. I can't tell you I was always 100% accurate chopping weeds, all right? I probably contributed to lesser yield for the farmer. <laughs> but I certainly gave it, gave it my best effort, all right? And, uh, but that's the inherent danger about that. They grow together, and, uh, and uh, that if you try to get rid of one, it's going to damage the other. And uh, to really understand fully how bad this situation was, you need to understand the type of weed that was being planted here. The type of weed that was planted here was called 
a bearded Darnell. All right, I have a slide here. Now, Brother Mike, okay. So here we go. I have this slide right here. One of these is wheat, and one of these is the bearded Darnell. So you have choice, you have a choice would be on your left, and you have a choice on your right. Now you think in your mind, you make a choice in your mind right now, which one you're going with, the left or the right, which one you think is the bearded Darnell or the wheat. Okay, you guys ready? Here's the big reveal. All right, go to the next slide. You, I don't maybe you had it right, maybe you had it figured out, but there is a vast similarity. Now this is a little bit easier because this is at the end, and you can see one head is bigger than, than another head. So you had a little bit of advantage. Well, let's take it a step back further when it's growing together. All right, let's go to the next slide. Now go ahead and find the bearded Darnell in this picture. They're there. I deliberately took out the other picture that identified where they're at, but they're there. I, I saw the other picture, so I know where some bearded Darnell are in that. But when you look at that, do you, would you be able to tell the difference? Even to a trained eye, it is still very difficult because you know what happens in a situation like this? You might be able, your eyes start swimming after a while. Your eyes ever start just like swimming? Like those things that they used to put in the comics, you put up to your face and your eyeballs would swim and you see some image. I never saw that image. I don't think it existed. But your, eye, but your eyes would just play tricks on you. And before long, you're not going to be able to identify, even if you're a trained individual, the difference between the two so you see how terrible of a, of a situation this is. You can go ahead and shut those off. So, the, so it, you can see that, um, that, they were, uh, that they were very close to each other. And this weed is not fit for consumption. You see, some during history would use the bearded Darnell. They would use it as a drug to get high with. Literally, the, the French word and some other languages behind it has the same word for drunkenness, which is the main word for the Darnell. It was a poisonous, toxic weed that if you consumed its seeds, it could cause, it could cause hallucinations, it could cause vomiting, it, it could cause a stupor, it could even take your life and it could even kill you. So this wasn't like someone just, oh, we just threw some thistles out here, or we got some, we got some uh, uh, different cockabers or things like that out there. No, this, this, is, this is deathly serious. Like, if you're making bread with this, you're going to probably know real quick, hey, I don't know what you put in that bread, but I'm going to tell you this, I don't feel very good about this, and I don't think I want another slice of bread. You can have my extra slice. This is not good. And so you can then understand with me why the disciples would be so fired up about wanting to know what was going on here. Because they would have perfectly understood this illustration that Jesus was saying. I want to know. Help me to understand what's saying, what's saying here. And clearly the Lord wanted you to know because he didn't give a secondary commentary on it. I didn't have to go and read some book online to find out what this is all about. Did not Jesus specifically tell us what exactly every single part of this, of this parable is? 
Absolutely. As it says uh, in that, um, in verse number 37, he that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. If you don't know who that is, that's Jesus Christ. So he is, he is the uh, sower. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. In other words, those that are saved, those that are born again. And it says, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. If you don't know who the wicked one is, then in verse 39, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore the tares are gathered and burned in fire, so shall be in the end of the world. And then it tells us that in verse 43, then shall the righteous shine forth. So we know clearly all the different elements of what this, um, what this is about. Now I would say that we would make a mistake if we were just saying it's just about the church here. But I will say this is, it's a kingdom parable. The field is the world, but where do we find the church at in this world? So the parable is not necessarily about the church, but clearly the church is involved within the kingdom of Jesus Christ. If you agree with me on that. So it has a wide implication, not just as in a broad sense, in the world sense, but also in a narrower individual sense within a, in the confines of a church wall. So we can look at it in all aspects of what this parable is talking about. And in this, in this parable, Jesus is giving us this, this warning. That yes, his seed will fall upon good ground. And there will be some that will produce fruit. Some will indeed do that very thing. But at the same time that the kingdom is growing, that at the same time he is growing and he is sowing, the devil is also sowing and he is also growing at the same time. So we have two different sowers at work at the same time. We have two different sowers that are at work at the same time. And what the devil does is this. He will counterfeit. He likes to counterfeit whatever the, the Lord Jesus Christ does. No, whatever God does, he will copy and he, he will mimic. You ever wonder why there's so many different translations of the English Bible? There's not a reason why. The reason why is this is you have an adversary that will mimic God's word to confuse you and to bring problems. Because that's what he does. He counterfeits. And so he counterfeits other preachers. We know that by the, the, the Apostle Paul. Why would then we be surprised then that there are counterfeit or false or untrue believers amongst the true? And by that, it means this, those that appear to be right with the Lord that appear to be religious, that appear to have all the right things but not be right at all. Well, I, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, you should in the sense that did not Jesus tell us when he first taught his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount? He said that, and in, in the day he says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
Because many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works? Have we not done miracles? Have we not done all these things in your name? Gave all the right oppression. But Jesus said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You see, it's easy enough to maybe sit there and look at maybe somebody using your guess who card by somebody on the street and say, well, you're clearly not saved. But one, we really don't know that. But two, it becomes twice as hard when the false looks like the true. Is that not what this parable is teaching? Is it not teaching that there's going to be a mixture of the false and true together? And the, and the truth of the matter is there's only one person that really has an idea and a handle on the situation, and it's not you and I. And the, not you and I. I can't fix a problem that somebody else created, but when you read the parable, we are encouraged with the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do something about this. The, there's not going to be any guessing. Jesus is not coming out with his with his little game card here, and he's not asking 28 different questions to figure out whether you're lost or saved, and he's flipping down things and like, well, yep, I got it narrowed down to, you must be it. The Bible makes it very clear in this parable that there is, there is coming a time, a time of sifting and separation that will take place. And I say that on, under what Jesus Christ is teaching us here, and what he has for us today that we must be aware of. Because, you see, this sifting process is going to be fine and it's going, and it, and it's going to, it will be perfect. See, they say back in this time, when a harvest came, that they, uh, that they would have women out there with sifting baskets. And they would take all the grain that was harvested during this time and they would put them on these baskets and be sifting. And I guess you could see that the kernels of the bearded Darnell were a slightly grayish color. Their color was slightly off from wheat. Took a trained eye. And they would specifically pick piece after piece after piece. Now, I can only not imagine how long that would take. But their job, I'm guessing, you didn't want to have anything that would, can I put it in Jesus' own words, offend that would offend someone who ate it. And so they would be picking them out. And I could just imagine, if the Lord Jesus put everybody in this sifter, and he's just picking, he's just picking. Oh, there's a bearded Darnell. There goes that one. Oh, that's a good one. That one goes over here. That one goes over here. That one goes over there. Brother Chad just preached about Aiken the other day, and I could about imagine almost being that process because if you're in that sifter, could you about imagine, like, I'm at the bottom here, and I'm like, I'm still in here. Things are looking pretty good for me right now. Look at all these other people. These guys over here, these guys over here in, in the righteousness, these ones over here in the fire, I'm doing pretty good. But I know this, the time to look at your peace is going to come. And the time for, for the Lord to look at that and go, that's wheat, that's a keeper, and that's a bearded Darnell. No, you will be separated. I don't say that to necessarily frighten you, but the terminology the Lord Jesus Christ gave here is nothing short of terror. Because he is saying that they will be, the Darnell, the weeds, will be gathered together and they will, they will be burned. 
and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What other, whatever you believe, and I believe that there's a literal hell just as much as there's a literal heaven. But if you, even if today you're in this crowd saying, I don't know if I believe in a hell like that, you would have to at least safely assume with me that whatever the punishment that's reserved for the bearded Darnell, it is horrible and beyond description, even if you deny the existence of a hell, that the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, it is bad if you are false and you are not true. That if you do not have a relationship with me, you're not of the seed of the kingdom. It is going to be utterly bad for you. This is not, I'm going to bring my, my cooler and fan and air conditioning to hell with me type mentality. The Lord Jesus himself, who, who is God himself, would know he is the creator of a place that's called hell. Do you understand that? And the same place that was reserved for those angels which had sinned against God has become an internal prison house for all those who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and which will then therefore include, if I was to look at this parable right, would it then include people that have been scripturally baptized? Yeah, you, you can be scripturally baptized could it include your Sunday school teacher? Pro could be. Could it include some preachers? Probably. Could it include someone who's memorized 100 verses and got themselves a, a prize for it? Probably. Could it be someone who ties all the time and gives heavily? Yep. Could it be someone who's faithful to church all the time? Yep. You see, the truth of the matter that is before us is not like we're dealing with, well, that, those, that biker gang, they're the ones that are going to hell. That's not who Jesus was talking about because Jesus had to specifically deal with this issue because he was dealing with a group of people that thought when the Messiah came that he was just going to let everybody who was Jewish into the kingdom of God, regardless of who you were, and you had all these religious Pharisees and scribes who the, John the Baptist called a brood of vipers. And the Lord Jesus Christ was trying to warn his disciples. He said, don't buy it. Just because these guys around you look like they're religious does not mean they're getting into the kingdom. They, because they, the Pharisees and the scribes, they would pray in the street. They would pray on the drop of a hat. They would give like nobody's business. They, the Pharisees, if you wanted a people that were zealous about keeping God's word, it would have been the Pharisees. They did all of these things. And Jesus said, these are bearded Darnell. He did. He preached a whole chapter about their hypocrisy in Matthew chapter number 23. See, I'm driving this home for the fact that the reality is, is this, is we have a large, I would call a large group of people, and maybe you don't say it's a large group, but I've preached to one person before, so this is a large group of people to me. So you define large any way you want, this is large to me. I can't sit here and tell you that there aren't wheat and tares in this whole room right now. I can't give you a ratio. I can't say, well, it's 50-50. Maybe we're 98 and 2%. That would be awesome. But I would be, maybe it's the pessimist in me, 
but I have a hard time believing we're batting 100% in here, that we're 100% wheat. I wonder if there's people that have slipped their hands on an invitation that when pastor says, are you saved? Did you make a profession of your faith? And people are, they're raising their hand, but know really that their relationship is not what they're professing it to be. See, what I'm, I'm not trying to get anyone to doubt their salvation today as much as we need to take a calculated look at our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ according to what this parable teaches us here today because I am excited that the righteous are going to be separated. We're going to be in everlasting joy. We'll be in the presence of God. I am excited about that. But I don't know about you is I have to ask myself this question. That's a future event. And I don't know when that is, but we've already waited. A, to me, in my mind's eye, not very long to God, but to me, a long time. And I'm thinking if I have to wait a long time longer, what do I do in the meantime? Because that truth excites me for the then, but I want to know what I'm going to do right now. Don't you want to know if you can, well, thank you, Lord Jesus. You told us this parable. Some of us are in good shape. Some of us are bad. Some of us appear right, and some of us are right. Thank you for that, and you'll take care of it in your own time. And we're just going to let, sit back and let it all go, because that's what he said. You can't do anything about it? Yeah, I just let it go. But I believe this. I can't do anything about anybody else, but I do think there's something for us to do here. Do you know the Bible says this? It says, um, it says, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. That is, Peter even writes, make your calling and election sure. Now this, so this isn't just me coming up with an idea this morning like, let's see if we can rattle some people's cages this morning about their salvation in Christ. But I do know that God says, if there's one thing you want to be settled on in this world, it is your eternal secured position in Jesus Christ. If you are the brokest person in the world, you will be the richest person in the world if you have that one thing settled in your life. I may not, I've had other people like other cults and stuff come to my door to witness me and, I, and I'm like, I don't know about those things, but I want to know one thing for sure is what does it take to be saved so I can have that relationship with Christ? That's the one thing I know. And I don't care about your other doctrines. I want to know that one thing. And so when I look at this, we need to then, just as these men went out there and looked in the field, we need to examine our own field, our own fields of, of, of our own lives. And so when we look at this, we need to examine really the decision that we made for Christ in our, in our own lives. You see, this problem went undetected for a long time. And they just, they didn't see it. But it is time that we look at it in, in our own life. Because you can't know whether someone's decision is true or false. Maybe you're guilty of it today and need to confess it before God like, well, they didn't really mean it. Well, how in the world... Did you come to that assessment? Where did you get that position of God who can identify whether someone meant it? Or, well, they'll be right back to where they've always been. Well, how do you know this? You see, we need to examine not their decision. Oh, we're really good at examining somebody else's decision. But we need to examine our own decision. 
You see, your profession and decision, it may not be, it may not be true. You see, it may not be true if your salvation is totally based upon what somebody else has said you have done. No, some of you, some, we, have, we need to be careful as parents because we're raising children in our home. And they're like, and then somebody's like, well, are your kids saved? And mom and dad just jump up. Well, old Bobby in Sunday school, when he was four years old, he said he was saved. And what you're doing is you're stepping in position to, I know my son is saved and uh, I know he is right. And the child grows up believing he's saved because mom and dad have always said that he's saved. Is that not true? We need, there may be some that your decision is based upon just because of what other people said you are. Oh, they prayed that prayer. You're saved. Well, I'm, not, I'm telling you, the prayer in and of itself is not the saving vehicle of your soul. It's just not. You may say, well, I know, I, I know I'm, things are right with, with, with God because I just feel like I'm saved. Man, there's days I don't feel like I'm saved. If you can bat 100 at it being, being feeling like you're saved every day, please let me know what your secret is. Because I would like to, I would like, like to have that. But you can't base your salvation on whether you felt like it or you felt a change come over or because you were crying at an altar someday or at some time. And then, you know, your profession not, may not be true just because... You grew up around it. You grew up going to church. Brother Samuel and Brielle probably grew up going to church. I didn't make them any more right than me when I was 21 and I got saved. They grew up lost just like I grew up lost. But if they're banking, if he's banking his salvation off of his relationship because his dad's a pastor of a, of a, of a good church down in Oklahoma, then I'm going to tell you this, he's not going to be right. You see, when we look at this, we need to examine our, our decision. And I've had to deal with people with this. And the best illustration I've ever seen before is there's like three parts. There's feelings, which is like this round ball. And then you have facts, which is like this rectangular brick. And then you have this, then you have faith, which is another rectangular brick. Now, I tell you this, you put the two rectangular bricks on top of the ball and try to stay balanced the whole time, you'll be out of balance. Be, you can't do that. It doesn't work that way. See, the assurance of your salvation is not based upon what you're feeling. It's based upon your faith that you built upon the facts of what God's word says. You see, well, I messed up to this week, and I just don't feel safe. Your salvation is not based upon what you're feeling. Your salvation is based upon the facts of God's word, and did you believe it? Did you put your faith and trust in it? I remember using a sermon illustration a long time ago that a missionary was somewhere, and he's trying to translate the word of God, and he was trying to into that language, and he didn't have a definition of faith. And uh, to put in their language, and this guy ran in, and he sat down, plopped himself down on this on this chair, and uh, and the missionaries like lights went off, and it said, "What word is that that you just said for plopping everything down on that chair right there?" And the guy gave it to him, and he said, "That is how I will define faith: is you put your full 
faith and rest and trust on the truth of what God says, not based upon what you feel at the moment. Because your feelings change, but truth never changes. It will always, always remain the same. Because the Bible says that God is immutable. And that means his word has to be immutable. means unchanging because the word of God takes on the nature of God. And because of that, it's an immutable, it's an immutable truth. It, it, it cannot change. The one thing that helped me in my life immensely to examine my own decision, make sure that I, I am uh, of that seed of the kingdom was a book I read years ago by a preacher that's gone home to be with the Lord. His name is Curtis Hudson. And he wrote this book called Bread for Believers. If, you, if you've not read it, even if you're a saved person for a long time, you should read it. But he said, answer yourself these three questions. He said, do you know that you are a sinner, that you have saved, that you are not perfect? Do you know that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, just like it says in John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then question number three. Are you trusting Jesus Christ to take you to heaven? By that I mean are you depending upon him? And then he followed up with this. If you can answer yes to all three questions, then I guarantee you on the basis of God's word that you have everlasting life and you will never perish and you will go to heaven when you die. That helped me out in my own life. He said, can you answer yes to those three questions? Do you realize that you were a sinner before God? That you, that you were unrighteous? That you were separated from God? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross? That if you believe in him, you have everlasting life? And do you, do you believe that he will give you eternal life if you put your full faith and trust in him? If you answer yes to those three things, then, you're, then you are assured of the fact that you are not of the weeds, but you're of the wheat. That when the sifting comes, you'll be gathered into everlasting life, into, into everlasting joy. You will know those. And everyone has to examine that today. Just because you're here today, I don't know what decision and what you believed and what you based your faith upon. You'll have to answer that for yourself. But I also know this. When I look at this parable, I'm going to examine my decision but I also want to examine the deeds that I'm doing in, in my life. Because the separation came out at the, was noticeable at the end when the fruit was on the plant. I do not believe that works saves you. Pastor preaches that also. He just preached out of James there. That, but you show your faith by your works. And when I look at that, I have to ask myself, are the works that I'm doing, would they be confused for weeds? Am I, my works wheat or am I good producing weeds? No, it's, the, reality, the reality is we're not to play guess who, but the people in this outside of this world are playing guess who with you every single day of the week. And as soon as you name the name of Christ and you say, well, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm saved, automatically the yes-no questions have started. And it doesn't just like, oh, it happened on Monday at work, they'll be done after Monday. They're not done on Monday. They're going to be watching every single day they work with you. You see, 
You need to examine your deeds. What do your deeds declare about your decision? Is that not, is that not right? Because there is going to be confusion in this world. And I'll tell you this, I would want my deeds to stick out as far as possible. If we're going to play the guess who game, I want it to be so distinguishable like, okay, that's clearly a weed over there, but that is not acting like a weed. I might not know what it is, but I'd sure like to find out what that is because it's different than that. But I think sometimes if we're not careful, our deeds can get mixed up with the weeds. And we need to have a distinction. What are your, what are your works? What, are your, what does your works declare about your decision? Because if you're really saved, your salvation will manifest works. Not that I made it up, but because God has said so. And then I also look at this. You need to examine your deeds, but even examine what you profess, your declaration. Because you know what the you know what the wheat was doing you know what the weeds were doing the whole time they were declaring we're we are wheat we are wheat we are wheat and they weren't wheat the whole time they were just professing you know what if I want to distinguish in my life between the wheat and the weeds I'm not going to be content just to say I have decided to follow Jesus but I will actually follow Jesus when we sing I surrender all I will actually surrender all. When it says count your blessings, I will actually be content in Christ. That if I say, well, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, then by my profession, then I will keep his commandments. Because he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If I sing sweet hour of prayer, then I will have a sweet hour of prayer. I won't add it up over a three-week period of time to get to an hour. I will actually do it. That my profession is not just in lip service alone, but it is also in practice. Because be ye hearers and doers of the word, because if not, you are deceiving your own selves. And as far as I can tell, deception is not of God. If I look at this parable here today. So with, look at this par parable today and, and what God, Christ is trying to share to us. I wanted to ask this. And say, Jesus is not playing a game of guess who today. He's not. He searches the heart, is searching your heart today, whether you are lost or saved. And so you need to examine yourself today. Do you know for sure that if you die, you're 100% sure you go to heaven? Do you know for sure that your decision for Christ was based upon the facts of what God's word said? Not by what you felt but by the facts of God's word. And I would implore you if you're not saved today that today would be a day for you to get saved. And if you are in here and you say, I do know that, I got that settled, then I would like to um, uh, just ask you this question. Then if somebody around you was going to play spiritual guess who then on you, would they assume you're saved or lost? What would they assume about you? That's a real good question. If people who are around you the most are playing spiritual guess who with you, what do they come up for an answer on their game board? Because people are playing that game right now. And they're watching you. They're paying attention. And I'll tell you, tell you this. I would want to distinguish myself in such a way that I'm not going to have that confusion whether I'm a wheat or whether I'm 
a weed. In other words, I want to make Jesus' sifting method a little bit easier. I want to make it as easy as I can on him, like, this is a no-brainer, and we should have that same mentality. A terrible parable? Absolutely. But even a worse game to play, the guess who, guessing who game. So today, don't look around at other people, but look at yourself today. Where are you at? And are you distinguishable in your own life between the wheat and the tares? All right, let's go ahead and stand. We'll have a time of invitation here. Uh, Lord, I just thank you for a chance to, to look at your word today. And God... What a searching parable, but a, an encouraging and helpful parable also at the same time. God, you who search the hearts and minds of individuals know exactly who is saved and who is lost in this room today, not by sovereign choice, but as a result of personal decisions in the lives of individuals. And so, God, I would pray if there's those that do not know you as their Savior today, that they would come forward and ask someone to show them from the Bible how they could be saved or grab someone else from the church that could show them from the, the Bible what they, could be, uh, what they could do to be saved. And God, for us who say, I have that settled, I know that 100% sure, I have that assurance, then may God today, when we look at our lives and are my deeds and what I declare in my life is that helping distinguish me from the wheat or distinguish me from the weeds today? Oh God, I just pray you'll work as we have this invitation. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.